This morning, brothers and sisters, we'll be turning to the second book of the scriptures, Exodus chapter 6, wherein the Lord says to Moses, now you shall see what I will do. The Lord reminds Moses that he indeed is the Lord. So let's uh, read together from this passage. You can find it on page 54 in the Pew Bibles. We'll begin actually in the previous chapter, Exodus 5, beginning at verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you've sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's done evil to this people, and neither have you delivered your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of the pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips." Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. As far from the word of our Lord. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you had an opportunity to witness about Jesus, about his love for his people, only, only to find your tongue goes dry? There's a situation arises, the Lord places it upon your path where it's possible to speak about your personal comfort in your Lord and Savior. Only the moment passes by and nothing is said. Then even afterwards, reflecting upon it and invariably right off the guilt, shrugging your shoulders and thinking, what would have been the point? It's not as though they would have listened to me anyway. Does that not feel true? After all, isn't it true that we can't even always convince ourselves? At times we have difficulty accepting the truth of God's word. 
We struggle to accept that God's in control, especially so when there's terrible things that happen to us. It seems it's like we strive in vain to, to maintain Christian values in our own lives, living in a secular land. And so if we, as, as a people of God, if we experience futility, would it not be doubly so for unbelievers? That our words will only fall on, on, on deaf ears. And so we doubt. We doubt that unbelievers will come to faith. We doubt even our own place in God's plan. And at times, when we feel particularly low, we even doubt whether or not God is active in carrying out his plan. And brothers and sisters, we have the comfort of his scriptures. For in the face of our doubt, we do indeed have a mighty God who is enduring, a Lord who's faithful, who's certain, a God who, even in the face of our doubt, would come to us and would come to us in love, revealing himself to us, declaring to us in no uncertain terms, I am the Lord. And so this morning, my brothers and my sisters, we'll consider that regardless of the futility of a man, we may still have confidence. It's confidence not in ourselves, but confidence in an unchanging God. And we will do so with the following theme and points. In the face of man's doubt, Almighty God reaffirms, I am the Lord. We'll consider how God reveals himself how God reveals his people, and how God reveals his plan. In the face of man's doubt, Almighty God reaffirms, I am the Lord. We'll see that God reveals himself. Now these opening chapters of the book of Exodus paint a very sorry picture Israel was in a foreign land, living under a pagan king, enslaved and in bondage. In their anguish, in their bondage, they had cried out to the Lord, and the Lord was bringing to them a deliverer, a boy who had been spared death under Pharaoh's terrible decree by floating on the Nile River in a little baby ark to be saved by a princess of Egypt. Be raised up in the very household that had sworn to end his line. But Moses had taken matters into his own hand. He had tried to redeem God's people in his own time. And so he had been forced to flee. But now, here in this passage, just prior to it, as a grown man, Moses had been called by God through the burning bush to go back to Egypt Now in the Lord's time he would go and he would deliver Israel from slavery. He had spoken with the elders of Israel and they had received him. But now things had actually gotten worse. The Israelites were still in slavery. Indeed, Pharaoh had worsened the conditions upon them. They wouldn't even be given straw to make bricks anymore. They had turned. They had even cursed Moses for coming to them. 
Moses was so discouraged by the events that had unfolded that he turned to the Lord in despair. His words, they, they had failed to convince Pharaoh to let the people go. Pharaoh had responded with more than just a simple no. But he had increased the torment on the people of Israel. And rather than blaming Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the Israelites had blamed Moses for disturbing the peace. And overwhelmed, Moses turned to the Lord. Why did you ever send me? Why this evil? You haven't delivered your people. How does the Lord respond to Moses? Does the God of heaven and earth, does he leave Moses in silence? Does he abandon him? Does he chastise him? Is the Lord thwarted by the actions of Pharaoh? Does God tuck his tail between his legs and scurry off from that pagan land? Absolutely not. For that's not what the Lord had in store. This too, brothers and sisters, is from God's sovereign hand. And so he gives to Moses assurance by reaffirming who he is, that he is both willing and able to accomplish salvation for Israel. The Lord had said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. It would not be the prophet. It would not be the goodwill of a pagan king that redeemed Israel, but it would be the hand of the Lord God. And so the Lord reminds Moses who it is that will accomplish it. Look at how he speaks to Moses here in verses 2 through 8, how he reaffirms again and again who he is. I am the Lord. My name, Lord. Say to the children of Israel, verse 6, I am the Lord. Verse 7, you shall know that I am the Lord. And he concludes, verse 8, I am the Lord. Moses needed to remember and he needed to remind the people of Israel that the God who had called him to be his prophet through the burning bush was still God, still Lord, still sovereign. And when you read the name Lord in all caps here in the Old Testament, that's the covenant name of God in Hebrew. Yahweh, I am who I am. God reminds Moses of this. I am who I am. He didn't change in the time it took for Moses to journey from the wilderness to Pharaoh. I am who I am didn't change despite who Pharaoh was, what Pharaoh was doing, or how the people responded, how they might think or act. He is unchanging. He is faithful and steadfast. And it's because of this, brothers and sisters, that we have this very interesting comment from the Lord here, verse 3. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, those are the all caps there, I was not known to them. You can see the footnote speaks Hebrew, Yahweh. Indeed, when the Lord made a covenant of circumcision with Abram, calling him Abraham, in Genesis 17, he said to him, I am God Almighty. But these patriarchs, they did know that God was Lord, that he was I am who I am. 
Abraham acknowledged this in naming the mountain where Isaac would have been sacrificed. This was reaffirmed by the angel of the Lord to him. Likewise, in finding a wife for his son Isaac, he invoked the name of the Lord. Isaac likewise named a place for Hoboth, speaking of the Lord. And he blessed his son Jacob in the name of the Lord. After Jacob had said, the Lord gave success on the hunt. And there are other examples of this that you can find as you read through the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all knew the name of the great I Am. And indeed, there were even those who knew of them, who interacted with them, even unbelievers who knew of their God and his name, Lord Yahweh. So why do we have Exodus 6, verse 3? Why does the Lord say to Moses, by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them? These men, they had a very special relationship with the Lord. They certainly knew their covenant, God. Now what the Lord's conveying to Moses is the power of his name. For Moses and the Israelites, they were looking for God Almighty. God Almighty representing a powerful force, a strong arm, a hand, capable of defeating any enemy. They would have been very happy if it were God Almighty descending upon Egypt to defeat, to conquer their enemies and to give them victory. And the way that Pharaoh secretly feared the vast people of Israel, the way that he spoke of He didn't actually know the God of Moses. He had complete disdain for this unknown entity. Even this pagan king, he was secretly, anxiously expecting Almighty God. For it was God Almighty who had established Abram in a foreign land. It was God Almighty who had raised him to power, who had defeated pagan kings to deliver law and pay homage to Melchizedek, priest king of Salem. God Almighty caused Abimelech and the Philistines to be filled with envy. God Almighty showed his strength when Jacob became afraid of his brother Esau. God Almighty caused the family of these patriarchs to go from one elderly couple into a great multitude of people. But what Moses and what the people of Israel were looking for was not how God would reveal himself at this time. For the patriarchs, in their their close relationship with God, they could know his love. They could know his steadfast faithfulness, his covenant relationship. The people of Israel, a great host there in bondage in the land of Egypt, they needed to know more of this covenant God. They needed to be reminded that it was his plan unfolding, his grace being bestowed, not their plan, not their grace. They would be delivered according to His will, not theirs. The name of the Lord, I am who I am, needed to be made known to them. We see who the Lord is in this, beloved of Christ, that it's His steadfast faithfulness that endures not ours. It's His covenant that He establishes. We don't establish it. 
It's His love. We only love Him because He first loved us. It's His plan unfolding perfectly, not ours. Time and time again, the Lord must remind us of who He is. Because who doesn't wonder about God's plan? Who doesn't think about how things could unfold differently? Might ask, why did God allow such a thing to happen? What's the purpose in this event in my life? How could God possibly want this to be a reality? We wonder why God doesn't come as God Almighty riding on chariots of fire to save our lives here on earth. And it's in this that we are to be reminded again of who God is. I am who I am. That's the God we may know. And significantly better for us that this is the relationship we may have with our God and not God Almighty. For who God is as the great and unchanging I am shines a light in the most beautiful way in how he reveals us, how he reveals his people. So how can it be that the name Lord, the great I am, that it would be better for us than God Almighty. We need to be careful here, brothers and sisters, on how we speak of this. For we may say that the name Lord here is better for us, not that it is intrinsically better. For our triune God has indeed revealed himself as the Lord. And he's also revealed himself as God Almighty. It's not as though in this case here in Exodus 6, God has become greater, more powerful, and has therefore received a new name. It's not as though that one element of God is is greater and more worthy of praise than another. No, certainly not. Indeed, his very name, how he reveals himself to us, tells us that. I am who I am, unchanging, eternal, absolute Whole, perfect one. That he is eternal, that he's unchanging, that he's absolute, can only mean he's also mighty, powerful. His infiniteness wouldn't exactly be infinite if he weren't also the most powerful being of all. Likewise, a God cannot be truly almighty if he wasn't also eternal and unchanging. Who God is does not have us attempt to compartmentalize different attributes of God. God is God. But this God acts. He acts in his creation. He enters into time and he dialogues with man. He comes to his people and he reveals himself. He comes to us. And for us, for our sake and our limitations, for our benefit, he reveals himself as Lord, the great I am. 
and speaking to Moses and reaffirming who he is as Lord God, our gracious and merciful God reveals his people. For who is man before God? How do people react to his words? How did people react to such powerful words there in Exodus chapter 6? Even such powerful words that testify about who God is, what he will do. How do the Israelites respond? What does verse 9 tell us? Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel. But they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. They didn't listen. They didn't respond in faith. Their backs were bent. Their faces looked down. And all that they could see was dirt. Are these the people of God? Are these the descendants of the men who had a close and personal relationship with God Almighty? Are these the people whose forefathers defeated kings, accumulated vast wealth, who contended with rulers, who even saved the world from famine? What sort of God do they have? But they're broken. Broken and destitute. Overwhelmed by their circumstances. That's how Exodus 2 concluded During those many days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. The cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. It's a beautiful text. This text that shines powerful light into all that unfolds in Exodus. It's beautiful how it focuses in on the plan and action of the Lord as opposed to what people on earth are doing. God hears, God remembers, God sees, God knows. But God heard and Israel is in slavery. God remembered Exodus 6, still, Israel was in slavery. God saw Israel was in slavery. God knew Israel is still in slavery. The people of Israel did not listen when Moses came with such beautiful words from the great I Am because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. How could they? Look at their circumstances. Been crying to the Lord for years. One king had died only to be replaced by a king who did worse, especially now that Moses had come in and was stirring the pot. We today can so easily get frustrated with God. We can wonder how it is that, that God hears, that God remembers, that God sees, God knows, and where is he? doesn't seem to do anything. Why is it that the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Why do bad things happen to little children? 
If he's God Almighty, then where is he? How much longer must this world groan before Jesus returns? And will Jesus actually return, or are we to continue enduring all the pain that comes our way? And when pushed hard enough, when we reach the lowest of the low, we might even sympathize with those who leave the church, those who abandon the faith. What good is it to believe in a God who doesn't seem to be there? In light of the despair that would so easily overwhelm us, brothers and sisters, passages like this may speak still comfort to us. For Israel and their brokenness and their inability to heed the word of Moses, even despite their reaction, God Almighty was still on their side. For he had a covenant with them, one established with their forefathers. Even though they despaired, even though their spirits were broken, even though their backs were bent under slavery, that did not stop God from redeeming them. That did not stop him from saying, I am the Lord. For he knows the weaknesses of his people. And to that, what does he say? I am the Lord. He knows they're not steadfast, they're not enduring, and still, I am the Lord. He knows their spirits are broken, but I am who I am. I am the Lord. God reveals his people in this promise. His people, his covenant people, they don't trust in him because he's almighty God. It's not as though people, humans living on this earth, look and and see God, see his powerful hand at work and think, I want that on my side. His people are not those who have witnessed his strength and desired to harness it, to wield it. No, his people are his people because of his covenant, steadfast faithfulness. Not because of his might. His people are his people because of his covenant love. Not because they decided he was an ally worth having around. Do you know this to be true, brothers and sisters? Do you worship Jesus as Lord and call upon God in love because of who he is? Or is it merely because of what you think he can do for you? That that would be a safe thing to, to hedge your bets on a powerful being. Now, just in case there's a God out there, I better come to church. That if I don't serve God, if I don't follow his law perfectly, then that's why bad things are happening. That if I check all the right boxes, if I serve this almighty God, he's going to come to me. He's going to bless me with peace and with happiness and with prosperity. While indeed God is truly almighty, that's not why we worship him. We worship him because he loves us. He's steadfast toward us. 
He's unchanging. His promises are unchanging. And though we would otherwise despair, though we would of our own accord reject Him, though we would be broken, He keeps us. He calls us His people. And He declares to us, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God's. Now that God is steadfast and He's faithful and He's certain in His covenant love cannot take away from His power as Almighty God. As we were careful earlier to talk about God and His covenant love first and foremost as an unchanging God in His covenant love for us, so we must also be careful to remember He does remain God Almighty. We lose sight of this so easily. Moses lost sight of this. Verse 12, we read, Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, The children of Israel haven't heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Let's be realistic here. The descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob don't listen. The covenant people of God aren't listening. Even the elders are blaming Moses for the increased hardships. And now God still wants him to go and speak to this pagan king, a king who said he doesn't even know God. A king who's shown his evil disregard by torturing the Israelite slaves even more. Moses seems pretty justified in this. Does he not? But we remember to focus on the activity not of Moses or of Pharaoh, but of God. And the God who spoken to Moses saying, I am the Lord, therefore gave him and Aaron a charge. He commanded them to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. And it's important for us here at the end of this reading to see the significance of of this church. God had just told Moses that he is the Lord, the unchanging I am. God has spoken of being God to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that he wasn't just any God, but God Almighty, a one who knows his people. And he had said to Moses to tell the people that the Lord, the unchanging and covenant remembering I am, would redeem them. That more than just Almighty God, but a steadfast and faithful God would do it that he would do it with outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. It's important for us and for Moses and for the people to realize that God has more than just the will, the intent, the plan to care for his people as their covenant Lord. He also has the ability to care for them as Almighty God. And he would do it in his time, according to his methods. It would be weak and sinful men like Moses and Aaron who were charged with bringing the people out of slavery. It would be clear they will not do it by their own strength, on their own time, or even with their own words. Still, 
God's plan did involve delivering Israel using them, using two otherwise insignificant men born of a couple living quietly as slaves. God's plan involved Israel being redeemed, and they would be redeemed by two men charged by the Lord. And it will be abundantly clear that just as the covenant people would not listen to them, so also a pagan king would not listen to them. They wouldn't listen because of their words, because of their persuasive skills. Their words would get them nowhere. Their words would cause them to despair. But their words, beloved of Christ, were still a charge given by God. Though Israel certainly wouldn't be brought out by their words, God would still use them in his plan to redeem them. A covenant Lord whose God Almighty has a plan that uses man in his weakness to do great things. He displays who he is through a plan that involves such charges. Although we could have redeemed Israel with a host of angels, he saw fit to use men who nobody was otherwise going to listen to. All throughout the history of Israel, prophets would come foretelling of the redemption she would receive from a man nobody would listen to. Prophets spoke of a plan of the Lord to redeem Israel through someone the world would consider utterly insignificant. The covenant God would remember his people and a man appointed by God would deliver them for a new life in blessed communion with him. And this man, Christ Jesus our Lord, had a charge laid upon him. Anointed from the start of his ministry, beloved son of God, come to do the will of his father. And he would deny his own will, even to the point of suffering death on the cross. And he would drink the cup of God's wrath in full. Rejected by man who did not know his word, who did not listen to him, he faithfully brought the word of God, for he is the word of God. I am who I am. In his covenant love, Demonstrated his love not with a great show of might, but in humility. That's the plan of the Lord unfolding in time. And that same I am, who is unchanging, gives us a charge, beloved. Christ Jesus is at work calling his people out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is gathering his chosen people to be his people. His word must go forth unhindered. His covenant faithfulness is most beautifully realized in the humble followers of Christ carrying out their calling faithfully. Christians following Christ in that threefold office as prophets, priests, and kings anointed and called to follow him. This is their charge. This is our charge, and we're not doing it with great displays of power. We're not doing it with powerful words that even pagan kings are forced to acknowledge it. The people of God are not bringing in the kingdom of God with mighty acts and mighty works and acts of judgment in the eyes of man. 
but the gathering of God's people is being done. And it's being done according to His plan, not ours. Almighty God reaffirms to us, I am the Lord. His mighty work has been so perfectly accomplished in Christ Jesus. Who are we to doubt the charge that He would lay upon us? Are we to question how effective we are in the eyes of man? Whether or not the person we're talking to, witnessing to, inviting to church, even if it seems to fall on deaf ears, even if it seems to us that it might be easier for God to give us signs and powers and, and so that the message of faith wouldn't be so easily dismissed and denied. But God remains. I am the Lord. In the face of our doubts, I am the Lord. God reaffirms who He is, a covenant God, a faithful God, a steadfast God who is unchanging and unwavering in His purpose. I am the Lord. God reaffirms to His people. They didn't choose Him. He chose them. I am the Lord. God reaffirms it's His plan unfolding throughout history, not ours. And in that perfect plan, we have a role, a calling, and a mandate. And what a glorious mandate that is. That in the face of all the chaos of life in this world, before all the uncertainty of living in the 21st century, compared with all the confusion of society, we may remain. And testify, we do have an almighty God whose word is absolute, certain. I am the Lord. Amen. Let's come before this Lord in prayer. Gracious and holy God, you've revealed yourself to us as a covenant God, an unchanging God a merciful God, one whom we may call upon as Lord. Help us, O Lord, to recognize this, to turn our eyes from focusing upon things here in this world, here in this life, and fix our eyes heavenward, to set our eyes upon the one in whom and through whom and for whom all things are working. Christ Jesus, your only begotten Son, who is our Lord and Savior. Work in us, O Lord, by your Spirit, that we may not despair, that we do not doubt, that we do not become overwhelmed, but that we may go forth from here, reinvigorated by your word and by your covenant promises, to know that, yes, you are Lord. Yes, you are faithful. Yes, you are present, you are there for us, and you are at work, working according to your plan, in your time, in your will. Help us, O Lord, to deny our will and to seek your will, for it alone is good. May you therefore forgive us our sins and our shortcomings as we struggle against our sins and against our sinful nature. For we so easily turn away from you. We so easily have our backs bent in bondage to sin. We so easily feel our hearts despair and anguish from the trials that we experience. 
Indeed, O Lord, all creation groans under sin, and we live in this world. And we earnestly desire for Christ Jesus to return upon the clouds of heaven to take this earth that is suffering so and to redeem it and renew it and restore it and to make it new again, a world purified of sin upon which we may live gloriously with Christ Jesus forever and ever in blessed communion with you as our faithful God. Lord, we also know that that day will not come until the number of your children has been completed. May you use us as instruments in your hand, therefore, weak and sinful though we may be, to hasten that day. That we may be witnesses by your Spirit. May your Spirit give to us the words that are needed to speak. May your Spirit work in us the fruit that is in accordance with your holy law that unbelievers may see it and witness it and be redeemed by also seeking faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, this is a beautiful task you give to us. And we thank you that it is a task that we may receive and be strengthened to accomplish because of the task that Christ Jesus has already accomplished there on the cross for our benefit so long ago. That he's bore your wrath against all our sins. He cried out in a loud voice, It is finished, having accomplished all that was necessary for the satisfaction for your law, that he might be our righteousness and holiness before you. And that he was raised victorious from the grave on the first day of the week. And that we may gather together, even today, thousands of years later, in commemoration of that joyful occurrence that speaks of the power of the gospel. May this strengthen and renew us, knowing that the power of all pagan kings, the power of this sinful world, even the power of the devil himself, is as nothing before the power of Christ. Bless us as we go from here for the sake of Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior, seated with power and glory at your right hand until he comes again.